Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the 30th episode of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. My name is Dan Gingas, and unfortunately, my co-host, Dan Moriarty, can't be with us today. But uh, we're still going to have a good time, and we are going to welcome to the show Tim Langley-Hawthorne, who is the Senior Vice President of Technology Governance and Global Customer Care Operations for Western Union. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Good afternoon, or I guess I should say good day. Uh, Well, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. And if we could just jump right in, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at Western Union. Absolutely. So I'm actually relatively new to customer care. I've been uh, in a customer care leadership role for about 18 months here at Western Union. I was a CSR back in Australia in my youth in, in college, and it was a uh, it was a decent job, but uh, not a whole lot of experience up until the last 18 months. So it really has been a first six months definitely were a baptism of fire, but I think we're, uh, you know, like to think of myself as a reasonably fast learner. My background, actually, I've got really my core background functionally is in finance and uh, technology and marketing. So I spent my first several years of my career in a marketing role with IBM in Australia. Uh, then I moved into a finance role and I spent a good 10 years in finance, CPA from that time. And uh, then I moved into a technology role for about 10 years after that. So I've got, I guess, a fairly broad background in different functional areas. And, you know, as I was going through my career planning with my uh, boss here at Western Union and was talking about roles that had, you know, a much higher degree of customer contact, this opportunity came up. So I moved into uh, customer care here at Western Union just on a year and a half ago and and run our global customer care organisation based out of our headquarters in Denver, Colorado. That's great. And I mean, Western Union is definitely a, a recognizable name, but can you give us an overview of the types of businesses that you're in? We are a over 160-year-old company. We were one of the very first components of the Dow Jones back in the day when it first started. So I think the only two companies that are still around from those days are ourselves and uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway. They were one of the original Dow components as well. So it's the interesting thing when I joined the company was it has such a storied history, but it's had a pretty successful history of reinventing itself as changes have happened in technology. So if you think about when the company started and they strung the first transcontinental telegraph across the US, you know, Western Union pretty much put the Pony Express out of business the day that that, that telegraph opened across the country. So that was... You know, back in those days, that was the technology that, that really drove a pretty dramatic change in how people communicated. And that's when we first got into money transfer. So that transcontinental telegraph allowed people to transfer money from place to place without having to physically transport banknotes anymore in, in a stagecoach. So that was sort of the, the start way back when of our money transfer business back in the, the 1860s and the 1870s. And then obviously the business evolved. You know, we're, we're most famous for the, the telegrams that 
were a big part of the business for a long time. We were the first company to launch commercial satellites here in the US. So we had three uh, Westar satellites in the 70s, which were the very first commercial satellites that were launched. And that replaced, at that time, what was a, a transcontinental sort of microwave relay network. And then obviously things have evolved now, and we have a proprietary network around the world. And now really what the business is today in Western Union, the domestic US business is actually a relatively small proportion of the overall company. You know, we're the leaders in cross-border money transfer and bill payment. So if somebody wants to get money from, you know, Denver, Colorado, if I wanted to send it down to my mother in Australia and I needed it there instantly, I can walk into one of our locations here and uh, start a transaction, and then she can pick up that money in Australia in minutes. So we operate in 200 countries around the world out of 500,000 physical locations. We also have over 100,000 ATMs connected to the network and over a billion bank accounts that you can send money into as well. So we've really, you know, going through this next level of our transformation where we're moving you know, money over that network around the world to customers in 200 countries. And that obviously is a very interesting and very complex customer care operation when you're dealing with customers in that many countries and that many languages. Well, first of all, I just want to say it's definitely the first time that we've gotten to hear about telegraphs and stagecoaches <laughs> on this podcast. So that's very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> But no, it's a really fascinating history, very old company that, as you say, has, has adapted to technology and a really, really interesting business. So let's start a little bit with how you're organized from a customer care perspective. As you said, it's very complex. You're in a whole bunch of countries. So give us a sense for what the organization looks like. So in the care organization, if I look at what I call our operations teams, we have two of our own captive customer service sites. Uh, we have a site in Mexico City, and that's actually where we run all of our social care out of at the moment. And so we have a captive site in, uh, in Mexico City with uh, a couple of hundred uh, employees. We have a captive site in Manila, where we run uh, customer care operations there. We have about 500 people there. So they're our core captives. We do have a couple of other smaller sites. We have a site in, in Italy that services Italy and Romania and some of those countries. We also have a, a customer care site down in uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina. That's our employee base, but we rely really, really heavily on uh, vendors and partners. We have about 4,500 vendor partners, vendor CSRs around the world, sitting in about 20 different sites. And the reason we sort of have that diversity is really language and time zone. You know, it's it's very hard to get... Nordic languages like Finnish and Swedish and those types of things, you know, you, you can't get them in Denver and you can't get them in the Philippines and you certainly can't get them in Mexico. So we do a pretty diverse range of sites around the world just to cope with the languages. We, we provide um, voice support uh, in about 45 languages at the moment. How much of that huge organization is focused on social? You mentioned the Mexico City area. So what does that look like? Yeah, so social social is we are relatively new to social. We've been providing social care for our customers for about the last two years, I guess. And it is a small but growing part of the business. 
It's also important our CEO is very active on Twitter, and while that's good in one sense, it, it also means that he's very accessible in social media. So we uh, we obviously deal with things that, that come in through, through him. But we have a, a team in Mexico City. We have about 15 people there. So as I say, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's a small but growing part of our business. The languages that we provide social care support in at the moment if I remember correctly here, they're English, Spanish, French, Russian, and um, we support the, uh, the local Filipino language as well. We, we really have focused in on the primary diasporas. You know, our customer base typically, uh, you know, a big case um, or sending corridors where people are sending money is U.S. to the Philippines, U.S. to Mexico, the Gulf states back to India, and France down to West Africa. They're our big five, you know, top transfer corridors around the world. Mexico City surprisingly has a pretty good depth in languages, you know, given it's such a large city, you know, we have been able to find Russian support, for example, out of Mexico City. So that's that's where we're currently running social. And as I say, in the grand scheme of things, relatively small, but it's a pretty high profile area that we've, you know, spent quite a bit of time partnering with our social marketing team to get up and running over the last uh, two years. So walk us through a little bit about that decision. So you've got a, a gigantic customer care operations team. They're all around the world. You know that the social piece is going to be relatively small, but as you say, it's high profile. So how do you make that argument in the organization that this is something that we want to fund and put resources behind? I think partly, as I said, our CEO is quite active in social media and, and is a big believer in social media. So I think we, it's helped having somebody at the top that has, you know, been a believer in being active in social. So that, that has certainly helped. The other thing is that we, over the last three years or so, we've been making this journey from treating uh, customers really as transactors. We were very transaction-focused historically. And then in the last three years, we've really had a big effort to try and move that to be very customer-focused as opposed to individual transaction-focused. So as part of that shift to customer centricity, social was something that was identified as, as needing to be a part of the strategy. Our social marketing team, again, is not a huge team, but they have been you know, very active in terms of working with us. We have community managers that the social marketing team have that are active in our diaspora Facebook sites, for example, around the world. And, you know, they deal with the, the outbound campaigns and the communication sort of more outbound. But when it comes to an issue where somebody is unhappy because we've blocked their money transfer for potential fraud reasons or potential regulatory compliance reasons, that's when people often start tweeting the CEO complaining about, you know, what on earth is happening with my transaction. And that's when social care gets involved and, and we work out what's going on and, and help the customer. Yeah, so you that's a great segue into where I was going to go next, which is the, the types of questions that you see over social. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in financial services and in particular in your business, it's a one-to-one -one personal financial transaction. So I would 
assume that people would hesitate to want to share the details of the transaction over Twitter, for example, but they also know that it's a good way to get your attention. So what kinds of things are you seeing? And also, I, I don't want to forget to ask you about what channels you seem to see them in and whether there are certain channels that are higher volume than others. Sure. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you would be surprised about the level of personal information that some people put out there into the social media space. So when we get involved in those issues where it's it's very specific about a transfer, we either take that message private, obviously, or we actually engage the customer directly by telephone or by email if, if they want to. But, you know, we clearly don't end up resolving sensitive you know, commercial transactions in, in public. The types of interactions that we have over social, there's quite a lot around people asking, they're trying to find one of our locations. I mentioned earlier, you know, we have 500,000 physical locations around the world in those 200 countries. We do have a mobile app in many markets, and that has an agent locator feature that can help you. But in many markets, we don't, right? So we will get people asking us, hey, I'm in this part of Kerala in southern India, and I'm looking for my nearest location. You know, can you tell me where it is? So we do get that. that that's one type of interaction. The other one we get is people inquiring about fees. So they might be wanting to understand, you know, how much does it cost them to send 100 euros from Paris down to Nigeria to a location down there. So we provide that, you know, price quote back, and that's obviously not sensitive information. They could get that same information from our websites or from our mobile apps, but obviously the, the whole thing with social is it's it's fast, it's it's interactive. And we, you know, we pride ourselves on the service levels. Our average time to respond in social is 11 minutes. So the service level we have is is 30 minutes, but we're currently responding in in a thir- in an 11 minute response time to to anything that's coming in on social, which is a much much faster than my experiences with a lot of other organisations like airlines and banks and that type of thing. That's a fantastic response time. Yep. Um, so congratulations on that. That's that's definitely up there among the better ones. What channels are you seeing most popular? Twitter and Facebook are the primary channels. And Facebook's actually quite interesting. We, up until about a year ago, we were going down the path of having country-based Facebook sites, right? So we set up a site in France. We set up a site in Canada. We set up a site in the Philippines. You know, we set up a site in Germany. And that we were going with a very geographic-focused site. But once we started to analyze the interactions, both from a care but also from a social marketing perspective, We found that people really associate or our customers associate with their diaspora and and their communities, not necessarily with the country. So, for example, a Filipino in Toronto and a Filipino working in maybe Singapore, it's the Filipino community that's the stronger bond and the stronger affinity to our brand than it is a Canadian affinity or a Singaporean affinity. So we actually changed the whole Facebook strategy over the last six months to be focused on our key diaspora as opposed to countries. So Facebook is is probably our largest channel at the moment, followed by Twitter, but by far and away Facebook and, and very diaspora focused. 
Well, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that from other brands that we've talked to, so that's a really interesting way of organizing. Yep. So what have you seen over your two years so far doing this that has changed? Because, you know, social media, one of the challenges is that it's constantly evolving. Both uh, Twitter, who we've had on this podcast twice now, and Facebook are, you know, continuing to build new functionality to make customer service easier on their platforms. And then, you know, customers, once they have experienced social media, uh, tend to treat it differently going forward. You know, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this podcast is that social started off as a channel that was maybe of last resort, where mm-hmm. you didn't like the answer you got on the phone or via email. Yep. And, and then people get an 11-minute response time, and they say, hey, this is kind of fun and, and useful. And, you know, next time I have a problem, I'm just going to start in social. So I'm wondering if you've seen that and, and other trends that maybe you've witnessed over the last uh, couple of years. We, Dan, we absolutely are seeing that that you know last resort to become first resort. I mean, absolutely. So, and that's why I think it's only going to grow for us. The other interesting thing is, you know, our community and our customers are generally unbanked, uh, or the majority of them in the foreign countries are unbanked consumers. They're migrants, often you know, sending money back to family, friends, loved ones back in their home country. Increasingly, in the more developed countries, you know, people are—they're already using smartphones. But our customers, even in unbanked, you know, unbanked customers, they have smartphones. So social is absolutely a way for them to to interact. And you know, like the European refugee crisis that we've seen you know one of the big issues that those refugees have had is just where do you charge your smartphone so you know it's a little misnomer or you know it was maybe somewhat surprising to us once we realized that even though a lot of our customers in these far-flung countries may not have a bank account or a credit card they need to send money and actually they have a smartphone and that means that social for them can become you know a very accessible mean of customer care The other thing that I think is really interesting for us at the moment is, and we see it as the next wave of money transfer, is using social media to actually transfer money. And then how does customer care align with that? So we have announced in the last six months agreements with both Viber and WeChat. You can send money using Western Union through those applications. They're in limited markets to start with, and we haven't gone out with really any advertising because we're ironing out the, you know, making sure everything works. But we see this as the next wave of money transfer and that people won't even be using web or mobile. They're going to transact direct from the social media. So if you went in today here in the U.S. and downloaded Viber or you were a Viber user or a WeChat user, you can send money using Western Union funded through your debit or credit card. So that then, you know, for me, as we launched these services in the last six months through our what we call our WooConnect platform, which is basically opening up all of our technologies, all of our compliance systems, all of our settlement systems, basically exposing them through programming interfaces to these social media partners, the question then became how do we provide care to this new Western Union consumer that only is going to use social to transfer money, right? They're not going to walk into our physical locations. They're not going to go on our website. They're not going to go on our mobile app. They're going to, they're just going to be in, in social. So that is obviously requiring us to make sure that this social care team that I've got 
ramps as that volume ramps up, right? And we see that as a really promising area for us as the, you know, smartphone adoption gets more prevalent throughout the world and social media is, is really the primary way a lot of people are communicating. That's where I see our next wave of, of social care growth is people who are, who are sending money in these apps. They don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to send an email. They want care in the app or they want care through social. That's absolutely fascinating, and yet another example of your 160-year-old company adapting to new technology. Absolutely. Uh, which is really cool. And we are speaking with Tim Langley Hawthorne, who is the SVP of Technology Governance and Global Customer Care Operations for Western Union. And I want to remind our listeners that we have a hashtag. It's F-O-C-S. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. And we use that so that you can tell us about brands that you'd like to see on our podcast, and we will be happy to get them on a future edition. So, Tim, I don't want to leave this topic yet because it's really interesting. You're talking about how you started customer service in these other channels, you emerged into social, and now social might become a core piece of your inherent product, which then, of course, would have a big influence on your social care team. So, Tell me how it seems like given the the size of the general operation, but then the relatively small size of the social team, what happens when you get uh, questions, for example, in a language that you don't support in social or, you know, from an area that maybe isn't covered? How is that working today? Yep. So we and we do get that. We do get just this week. We had a consumer that came through to the CEO in Turkish because our CEO is actually his heritage is, is Turkish Austrian. So we got, uh, you know, a, a tweet coming through in Turkish that we needed to deal with. So in what we do in those cases is we then fall back to if we need to translate, we fall back to using our vendor partners to do that. And obviously, we're not meeting an 11 minute service level in that case, unfortunately. But we then go to the vendor where we, we provide Turkish support, currently voice out of Cairo in Egypt. And out of, yes, it's out of Cairo is where we provide that. So we go to that vendor and get them to do the translate for us. We also do have access to Language Line, which is a third party service that basically can translate anything. And then, quite frankly, things like Google Translate and some of those web based free translation sites. They're pretty darn good these days, Dan. You know, you, you don't need to – you can get the gist of what somebody's asking by putting that into, into Google Translate or one of, those, one of those engines. So, you know, we obviously monitor that, and if, if, if we start to see that we're going to start getting more interactions in other languages, then we'll address it. But we sort of deal with it on a case-by-case basis. We, I wouldn't say it's a huge volume of – you know, odd, strange languages that we get in, but they they absolutely come in and and we approach them that way that I just that I just covered. And is the social care team and their and the technology that they use and the CRM and all that is that integrated in with the rest of your customer care? So if I have spoken to you on the phone in the past and then I tweet at you, do you know I'm the same person? So we are just in the process of well, we've just replaced the social care platform that we use we've just started using in the last uh, six months um, spark central which we're very happy with it's a great tool we're also in the process of replacing our 
other CRM system that the that we use for voice, for chat, for inbound email, for web chat. Uh, we're moving to uh, Service Cloud with Salesforce for that. I, it's interesting, just half an hour ago, I was meeting with our VP of social marketing talking about the technology roadmap of when we will integrate Spark Central with Service Cloud. And we are going to do that at some point. At the moment, with 15 people, we can do a swivel chair approach and it's it's okay. But as that social care volume grows over the next you know year to two years, that's when we know we're going to have to do some sort of integration. So at the moment, not integrated. And it's really because we're just in the process of replacing those two core platforms, the, the social care platform and CRM platform. But absolutely, I, I mentioned earlier this whole evolution to being a, you know, a customer-centric company as opposed to just individual transactions. And I want to make sure that if somebody's coming through the voice channel and maybe then they send us an email, I want to make sure that you know that is readily available to the social care team, which they can get to now. They just have to get into the, uh, into the core CRM system to do that. Sure, makes sense. So, I want to end with uh, with two questions that we like to ask um, all of our guests, and the first one is about whether you can share a particularly memorable interaction that you've had with a customer in social media. And I imagine that uh, just given sort of the emotion probably tied to sending money to family members around the world, that you've got a number of them. But if you could if you could share one that kind of either sticks out in your head or you use for training purposes or, or whatever, we'd love to have you do that. Yeah, no, I, I was going to – they do tend to be fairly emotional interactions in all our channels, to be honest. In many, many cases, you know, the money is being sent for emergency purposes or medical purposes or education purposes or whatever. So, you know, and it's generally a fairly significant sum of money to our customers. So I think we had a situation in the last year where a customer was trying to send money to pay for Grateful Dead tickets in uh, it was one of the last Grateful Dead concerts, I think, last year in Chicago. And it got caught up actually in a – we actually flagged it for potential fraud and we blocked the transaction and needed to interview the customer. And he was not that happy about having to be interviewed. And, you know, not only was he unhappy about being interviewed for potential fraud, which we determined it wasn't, but he was very upset that the CSR who was handling his complaint and his issue had never heard of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so, which, you know, <laughs> is not necessarily a, a, a very well-known group in uh, South and Central America. <laughs> so that was, so we always, we talk about this as the Grateful Dead complaint, right? It was this gentleman who was having trouble getting money transferred to pay a friend for the tickets, but, you know, the, uh, the CSR serving it had, had never heard of the Grateful Dead. Now, we don't do that didn't mean that all of a sudden we we embarked on a history of music and and rock and whatever for all our CSRs. That was just an interesting one that we you know we look back now and have a bit of a chuckle about. Well, and it does speak to the fact that 
in social care, your agents do have to be a little bit more culturally aware yes. than maybe they do on the telephone. Yes. Um, because there's things happening. There's things happening in social that are sort of uh, that are uniquely social, and it's just like the social marketers have to be aware before you use a hashtag of you know making sure that you've investigated it and you know what the hashtag means. Yep. Uh, I definitely see that social care reps kind of have that added requirement. And, yeah, you don't have to know every band that there is, but uh, <laughs> but, but certainly things come up like that. That's funny. Yeah. So the other question we like to ask is if you have any advice to an organization just starting up in social care, if you could sort of rewind the clock back two years and, you know, tell yourself something that you wish you knew back then but now you know now, uh, what would that be? I think it's important to think about who are the individuals that you're going to have in this team, right? Because as you said, they do need a certain level of knowledge that's that's a little different to other channels. So I think it's important to think about you know, where are these people going to come from and where are they going to go to, right? Because in customer care, you know, you always want to make sure that there's some career progression for people, right? Because if you don't, then they're going to go somewhere else. So, so we took existing experienced customer service representatives that knew our products and services very, very well. We obviously looked for people that had, you know, strong written communication skills and, you know, the ability to sort of generate rapport, you know, pretty quickly. And then we sort of said, okay, so, and then what happens to them, right? Because if they come into social and, and we have very little turnover in our social care team, it's, it's really seen as a stepping stone down there in the Mexico City site as, you know, it's, it's the next step up from when you join the company down there as a, as an entry level CSR. But then it's like, well, what, where do you go next, right? I mean, what do you go next to? And we're finding that for the team down there at the moment, they're very happy and we think we're going to get, you know, at least another few years out of the current employees. They're not looking to move to anything else. So it's a little different dynamic to other groups. So I think to me, the thing that I would ask people to think about is just the human dynamic of how are you going to staff it? How are you going to retain? And then what happens with people as they get more experienced? I think that's great advice. In my uh, former job, we found that when we moved customer service reps from the phone over to social, they were never going back. <laughs> you know, They were so happy to be off the phone. And there is a fun element to social. Um, you can certainly uh, handle more questions at a, you know, in, a, in an hour, and you get to have uh, you know, a different kind of human interaction, which is fun. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim. We really appreciate you being here. Great stuff. Really interesting company. I love the, the story of it being uh, one of the first original components of the Dow Jones and and yet it is anything but an old stodgy company. It, it is definitely evolving over time. And I think this payments via social is is going to be a thing. And it'll be interesting to see uh, if you guys can tap into it. But but you already sort of you already see hints that it's something that uh, that could be a really big deal. So congrats on that. And, and congrats on doing some really great work uh, on the social care side as well. Thanks for having me on the program, Dan. Well, thank you, and thank you, listeners, for being with us on Episode 30, and we will see you next time on the Focus on Customer Service podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS, and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. 
see you next time.